Hey, this is Jeff Gannon, and you're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Andrew and I talk general investing concepts. To get even more content from me and Andrew, sign up for the Focus Compounding app. The Focus Compounding app costs $7.95 a month. It comes with a bunch of 2,000-word articles from me each week, a fresh batch of five-minute videos from the both of us, along with one bonus extra-long episode of the podcast each Saturday, and immediate access to our complete backlog of 200-plus episodes. To sign up, go to focuscompounding.com app or wherever apps are sold. And now here's Andrew with your regularly scheduled podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focus Compounding, sitting next to Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how are we doing today? Uh, we're doing very well today, Andrew. How are you doing? We're doing great. <laughs> we just poured ourselves a cup of coffee. Jeff whipped out that French press and yeah. brewed a cup of coffee. So that's so not we'll... Starbucks coffee. That's false advertising. Yeah, it is. It's This is Gannon coffee. So now we're all jazzed up. We've been recording for a while. And we, now we're all jazzed and up and ready to go. Uh, it's Steak and Shake Ice. Wait, what? That's that ice wasn't made here by that ice machine. Yeah, I knew that. I oh, could yeah. tell, but it's something like that. I steak and shake one of those one of those places that sells ice in those big interesting. Yeah. Cool, cool. Well, if this is the first time you're tuning in with us, we do have more than just 20 episodes that you yeah. uh, can choose from. We have 250 plus. And if you want to get access to that, you could go to focuscompounding.com slash app. You could sign up there and then download the app through the iOS or Android um, uh, uh, app store. And then you'll get access to our backlog of timeless episodes as well as a premium episode that we upload on the weekend, um, which is always a lot of fun. So in today's podcast, we're going to be talking about screens and this like idea of generating new investment ideas. Okay. And in the Monish Pabrai Boston College lecture, he was talking about new ideas. Okay. And he was just basically saying, you know, you turn over enough rocks and every now and then you get hit in the head with the two by four. Yeah. And that was like my favorite part of the whole. Unfortunately, it's true. Yeah. And it yeah. is true. You know, and I, mm-hmm. I've, I've thought about that too. I mean, sometimes it's just, you just kind of stumble across something. It's a lot of I always say it's a lot of, you know, clicking around, reading around until finally you find something that's very interesting. And then, you know, then you're like, oh, wow, this is, you know, very interesting. Um, so first of all, how often do you use a screen? I use screens very rarely, but for the most part, that's because any screen that I run now to me just looks like the same stuff over and over again. Yeah. If I, can- I run price screens, it's different. But literally some of the screens I'm running are things from 10 years and still half the public company showing up on them would be the ones that were there from 10 years ago. Oh, so, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? So like I... I run screens where everything's a familiar name sometimes, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, because the ones that I usually run, maybe once a month, it says the last time <laughs> that you ran the screen, and it's always the last time I ran it. Okay, you know? yeah. Um, but what are some screens, I guess, number one, that you have found to be just a good screen to sort of give you a universe of companies that you would be interested in? One, I like the Overlook stock screen. So there's a screen that, you know, it depends on what website you're using, which ones you can run, but that's based on just the um, share turnover. Because we've talked about that before. That's my favorite measure of how overlooked a stock is. Um, I actually don't use the float. I just use all share turnover. So if it's half owned by the company, then that's fine for my calculation. You technically should use the float. Um, so I'll just say like, okay, um, have the number, of, you know, in any given month is the volume of shares traded here, like, um, let's say less than 4% of the company. If it is, then that's less than 50% turning over in a year or something like that. You know, so around that number, 4 or 5% a month or whatever, um, versus we've talked about stocks like, you know, Cinemark, right? That I think 
traded like almost 10% of the company in a day. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) I wonder how much of that will be skewed going forward because of what happened back in March and how that's probably the most amount of volume that Mm -hmm. these companies have had in a very long time. But no, I think that's a great um, thing. So share turnover, do you ever screen for like anything else like gross profits? Gross profit margins. Yeah. So like what about the gross profit margins? Like is it like predictability? Above, Above, okay. Yeah. So like as an example... Any company where gross profit margins are over 50% and it's overlooked would be interesting to me. Got it. Because there's a few reasons for that. One, like any company that has gross profits over 50% and you haven't heard of, mm-hmm. you'd want to read about it. Yeah. You know? Now, there are ways, like we've talked about Tandy isn't a particularly high, uh, super high return on equity or whatever business, but it has very high gross profits. So you'll sometimes come across things like that. Mm-hmm. But more likely, if you have something like that, it is the fundamental thing they're selling is very profitable. So um, that's just interesting in a way that it screens out, you know, most, most businesses. It's going to screen out most manufacturers, most retailers. So I'm kind of looking for something new that I've never heard of before. You know, like maybe I wrote up some drug testing companies and stuff. Maybe something like that could show up on a screen like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, things along those lines. There have been other screens I've run. Um, I like gross profits divided by total assets. Too. See, I was going to say, that's why you yeah. should like to run for screens. Yeah, I like that one a lot. And to be honest, I also like reversing all of these numbers. So I always feel bad when I say these things because it's like, and then people run the screen, it's like they're not running the exact same screen that I'm running. But so return on capital and stuff, I actually always flip them. I think it's easier and it's easier to do the calcul for various math reasons. I think you're likely to get cleaner results and to recognize any weird abner, um, anomalies in it. So like if you run a screen that actually is total assets divided by gross profits, then what that means is your lowest numbers of assets versus profits is what you'll start with. That would be the same thing as saying high gross profits to assets. Yeah, sure. But that will help with dealing with things like negative numbers. Right. Mm-hmm. So gross profits and total assets, you'll be fine with negative numbers, but return on invested capital can sometimes be negative. Um, things like that. Return on equity would be negative. But if you run it to be what companies have the most equity versus the least income, and then you just uh, flip the order that you're looking at it, mm-hmm. then that'll help you with it. And I always found that to be very uh, useful. I've talked about it with our return on capital. I always do flip them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So typically, okay. So let's say you populate two to 300 different companies through a screen. Take us to the process then from there. Is it really going one by one to see, like read the business description, do a little quick, uh, you know, snap judgment on it and then see if it's something you would want to learn more about it? I mean, what are your thoughts on that? The number one thing I do is I mark the companies that I've actually heard of before or looked at or something and then realize that they're on the screen. So that's the easiest one because I know something about the company Mm -hmm. or something like that. So if I'm surprised by something appearing there, then that's helpful. Then the next one would be the business description and stuff. The one that's always tough that I have to make myself do is not judge it based on the company name. Because when you do sure. like 200 stocks, what you realize is for the most part, you can tell from the company name like exactly what the company does. Yeah, it's sometimes like, I feel like sometimes I'll run and I'm like, oh, this is pharma related, this is biotech, this is health related. Mm-hmm. For me, it's I usually just delete it. Yeah. Which could be wrong, but I'm just right. like, I don't really... And yeah. yeah, and so I want to try to avoid those things. But sometimes they can be, you know, um, misleading that way. And so I want to avoid the ones that would be, the names would like throw me off. Um, yeah. Do you remember we uh, re- we recorded a podcast this summer about interesting ways to find ideas? Mm-hmm. What was it? Was it a Peter Lynch? I think it was Peter Lynch, like 20 Golden Rules, actually. Okay. And I think he said when 
an interesting idea could come from when the name of the company has absolutely nothing to do with the business. Well, one I lo- I mentioned in my write-up, because I've mentioned this before, that some things jump out to me. And what immediately jumped out to me when I was writing a company called Flanagan's is that the ticker was BDL. Now, what I realized when I started to look mm-hmm. at the company is BDL means B- Big Daddy Liquor. Big Daddy. <laughs> and that was <laughs> I say sort, it's of, funny sort of a ever. legacy business, yeah. you know? Um, and then actually after that, I realized I'm like, wait, I've seen Big Daddy Liquor stores in other states yeah. and stuff. And so then I read carefully in the 10K where it said they don't have the rights to that, that they use, mm. you know what I mean? That every, that their rights exist in their state and the trademark for, is for other states, is for with other people. Because I was like, this can't be that company because there's enough stores, you know, that that would make sense. Um, so sometimes you see that where there's like a name thing. I, I mean, we own a stock that always amuses me, NACO, because in many websites still to this day, the business description includes housewares. Yeah. Yeah. For like, uh, <laughs> HBB and kitchen so, collection. Yeah. yeah so, the, so, and how long ago did that spinoff happen? That's yeah. years and years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's talking about them being in housewares. Like well, some site I saw was like, you know, they're in the energy, they're in the energy industry and housewares. Yeah. So I don't know who's going to look that up and try to figure out what that means. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And then the company's name doesn't really help, you know, because it doesn't have coal in the actual name. I'm trying to think, uh, what's the situation or what has been a situation when the name was just completely opposite from what well, they I actually did? Well, I talked about Rex Electronics. So Rex Electronics is the company that was becoming an ethanol company. Oh, yeah. And so my theory was that, what was it, Pacific Ethanol would go down a lot and Rex Electronics would go up because they'd change their name, and so they'd make it something ethanol. That's when you did your related hedge, yeah, right? Yeah, that I suggested that, yeah. For um, Valley Masters Club. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, turned out better than expected. I think we you asked about that, because yeah. whichever company I picked, I think it might have been Pacific or something, did, like, go to zero or something, basically. And then, actually, Rex, like, did some smart things and stuff. It didn't just get into ethanol, but... yeah. Um, Still, I would never have bought it as an ethanol company. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it had a name that had nothing to do with that. I mean, Berkshire Hathaway has a name that has nothing to do with the business that it's in. Yeah, if you say Berkshire Hathaway to the average person, they'll probably think the realty company because that's what they see the most of, mm-hmm. you know, for like real estate and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, when you're going through these screens, are there any industries that you immediately disqualify? I mean, like, will you look well, at like a biotech company? Yes. So I have some, or things. do you just like read the description? You're like, oh, yeah, no, I'm not doing it. No, I have some things that we can't show on camera and stuff, but there. So anyway, I have certain things where I look at a like you would have in QuickFS, certain financials and things. And what I do is I have it printed out and I mark it up, and you can see my writing down some of the things that I said. So like a biotech company, it's interesting. You'll see that I've written some stuff down. Uh-huh. The only things I've written down basically are: is it trading above tangible book? Yes, and. It, if that's it, then I don't need to know more. And is it trading under net current asset value? Mm-hmm. Yes, then I'm, you know. And then is it trading below cash items? So do I check every biotech for the, that information? Yes, mm-hmm. to see if it's like it's trading below that. Mm-hmm. But if you mean like any biotech trading above book, then absolutely not. I have the same thing for semiconductors. Like people would ask, would you ever consider semiconductor stock? I consider it on a Ben Graham basis, same mm-hmm. as biotech. I consider it as like just a value stock. Mm-hmm. But if you're asking would I ever consider it like I want to participate in this business? No. And the simple reason is because if if you think about it in real life, right? If someone ever came up to me and said, I have some, um, would you like to participate in this biotech thing or the semiconductor? I would just say no. 
I don't know it well enough that yeah. I can't make that judgment. Whereas if someone came up and said, do you want to partner in this restaurant? There are, they could show me financials and explain it to me in a way that I'd be like, yeah. Yeah, you'd I'll understand it too. Yeah. yeah, or car dealership or a retail thing or whatever, a bank, insurance, you know. So if you wouldn't do it in real life, if someone came up to you, if you're only doing because it it's a stock, mm-hmm. then I think you can only buy little pieces of paper that trade around on the basis of cheap in terms of book value and those sorts of things. It's only, you know, it's asset plays. If, mm-hmm. if you wouldn't buy it as a business, then it has to be an actual asset play. Yeah. Got it. Um, okay. So I guess what are some other ways that you've been generating ideas? Not saying that they actually got right. implemented in the portfolio, but just things that you think, hey, yeah, this is something to follow. I mean, like I've been, I guess from my situation and I've written about and talked about it, um, I've been studying movie theaters a lot yeah. recently, but really have gone like, up the supply chain, if you will. So I have learned a lot about like studios and mm-hmm. uh, the film industry and all sorts of stuff like that. Learn a little bit about acting, just kind of curious, you know, just so I'm mm-hmm. curious, like from your perspective, how do you, you know, go to sort of like find uh, new stocks other than what you just talked about? Yeah. If there's certain industries you're interested in, then reading those things um, is helpful. So, and like learning all about it. So reading books about it is the one that's kind of obvious that yeah. we've talked about. I've read lots of books on certain industries. Um, but so restaurants, cruises, movies, uh, TV, um, publishing, advertising. Mm-hmm. I mean, so all of those I've read at least a few actual real books. And I don't just mean textbooks and things, but biographies of people in the industry, histories of companies in them, whatever. So you start to get a little background from them. And you also recognize things like, oh, this company used to be this thing. It's this part of this one that was sold off, whatever. Um, So that's helpful. And then also trade magazines. Uh, I've mentioned before, the two best ones that I've read actually are American Banker and Variety. Variety used to be a daily actual print publication thing. And Mm -hmm. when it was... Uh, I read, I started every day by reading it and that was very helpful in learning about certain things and like finding other stuff. Now, 90% of what you read is not going to apply at all, but I kind of feel like the wall street journal and financial times are the same way. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's fine, but I read about them. And if something really stands out, if someone says something shocking, I've had that happen where I was reading something and they, they said a number that was so amazing that I then had to look into that industry or something. Really? Yeah. So like a price that was crazy. Mm -hmm. So if people are asking like, would you ever consider uh, investing in some shipping company or something? No, but if I read an article where they said that people are buying ships to scrap them or something, then I would look, then I would look at it because what if there's something trading at some big discount in that industry? You know, you read an article that says something amazing like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Another, I guess you could say this is something that has only gotten better with you know technology and stuff is podcasts we were just talking yesterday at breakfast about whenever i come across a new industry or whatever that's interesting i'll try to find like a podcast that's dedicated to it where because i mean the nature of how people podcast is you pick a a a niche or whatever and Mm -hmm. and then you dedicate your whole podcast to that for the most part right so for example with the movie theaters i started listening to a podcast called box office and these are so-called experts in the industry so it's just good to like get their opinions on things like that and you know listen to what they're talking about, whether that's, I mean, we've done that with many different industries. Yeah. You know, you follow different podcasts, different blogs, stuff like that. Yeah. So the thing with that is I find, um, you don't really get a stock idea from there. That helps you recognize a stock idea when you find it through the financial thing. So like when people, if people say like, where do you get a stock idea? Technically it's likely I get a stock idea from 
something like I read every thread of the investment ideas thing on, uh, I mean, every topic or whatever on investment ideas on Corner Berkshire and Fairfax, every single one I read it. So I do read it, but I can't recognize it if it's in an industry I don't know anything about, Mm -hmm. right? So if I've never read anything about how the pub business in the UK works, I wouldn't recognize a good idea probably, you know, unless it's like just that the basic arguments people can make the stock is cheap, whatever. But I need to understand more than like that original poster said about it. And sometimes I see one and I go, Oh, because I have some background in the industry or whatever. And that's to me, like which part is the recognizing the idea? Cause they brought out an idea and I read it. And so in a sense you could say, Oh, well then that's where you got the idea. But if I hadn't, been studying banks all the time then this bank idea they have has nothing that interesting sounding about it but then when i read it it does sound interesting yeah just like you were saying with entertainment so because you learn about that industry uh i give the example all the time about um dreamworks animation but it's a really good example because it's a weird case where i felt the stock was um cheap and yet it, it wasn't really cheap on any of the basic measures of like value investing so a value investor would say if it's trading at one and a half times book, 15 times earnings, whatever, EVD, but of nine or whatever it might've been, then that's not like, that won't jump out at you. But if you understand the business a little bit, you could have a movie studio could look cheap to you just because it looks cheap based on the library or something, or, you know, any of those things like cable cowboy or whatever. Like if you know a lot about the cable industry, then sometimes it'll, a stock people present as like, well, this is fairly priced. I think is really cheap. Mm-hmm. And those are kind of the ideas that stand out to me. So did I find them from a message board or a blog or whatever? Yes. Technically. Yes. That's how they presented the stock. Yeah. yeah. But you, there's a lot of work that you put in to be able to recognize that is what yeah, you're saying. Cause like yeah. what I mean is variety and American banker and stuff. Don't say here's a great stock. Sure. You yeah. Know, yeah. They, they don't, they don't say they talk about a company, but they don't mention that it's trading at an absurd price. So it's useless information to you and stuff, you know, but they give background, which then when you can look at something can help you out, like especially things like comparable sales, which we've talked about before and stuff like you have a pretty good idea of what things go for in the industry. Mm-hmm. I'd say better than value than like investors do because investors all use the same thing from the proxy things and stuff the investment bankers prepare and stuff yeah. they don't go out and like try to guess what it is based on industry reports of what's been sold mm-hmm. yeah and, and it's like this favorite quote of mine from charlie munger um he says this habit of committing far more time to learning and thinking than to doing is no accident and mm-hmm. i think that's interesting because investing is very much um Again, it's very much a delayed gratification business, not just from like the perspective of, you know, compounding your money over time, but very much you may make an idea today um, that gets implemented in the portfolio, but maybe, you know, sort of the foundation of that idea today is stuff that you did years ago. Yeah. Well, that's the thing about Buffett that I think people overlook in his record. And and by the way, that's very against human nature. Uh Human nature is instant gratification let me do something today and then you know have this payoff from it today be rewarded or whatever so it's almost like sometimes with investing you're like should i be doing more am i doing enough Mm -hmm. so it's like how do you ensure that you're doing that and answer that but i didn't mean to cut you off what yeah no so like so with buffett um one of his best individual investments uh it it faced some risk so when you adjust for that i don't know but but for a long time one of his best in many ways was the buffalo evening news and he paid a really high price. Like any value investor would say it was not a good price and all these things. But what's interesting about that, and then before that, one of his best investments in public markets was Washington Post, which he'd already made that investment. So 
he also had so when he goes into buying the Buffalo Evening News, he's already been a shareholder, board member, everything on the Washington Post for a while. Okay. So really good understanding of that as a, so he's been owned for like, you know, been a long-term investor, been a decade or whatever in owning a public company in, in, um, that kind of thing. But what's bigger than that is he also owned like a hundred percent of local paper in, um, in the, uh, Omaha area. Mm -hmm. So he also actually had owned a newspaper outright by the time that he's looking to buy that. And he, you know, that kind of thing is very common for his history like if you look um when he invests in bank stocks people are amazed at his knowledge of banking stuff berkshire owned a bank outright um like his investing in geico and all that stuff they own national indemnity outright yeah uh so he like he actually completely owned and was on boards and things of some of those key companies that Mm -hmm. he was involved with um their industries and then it doesn't pay off till years later like the buffalo evening news is a good example because it's not a cheap price that he paid like if you didn't, if you weren't in the publishing industry, it would not have seemed a cheap, a cheap price. But he would have known this other one's going to be out of business once you're a monopoly paper and whatever. And by the time, like that paper eventually was the most profitable, I believe it was the most profitable newspaper in America uh, in terms of like its returns on capital and everything, right? Mm. So that's not like a stock investor doesn't understand that. But a stock investor who learns a lot about particular industries then does understand it. And, yeah. And, Buff is interesting because he's only thought of as a stock investor, but he kind of studies certain industries and becomes very good at investing in them. And so, I mean, you mentioned that with Pabrai, right? Like Buffett's record in retail is nothing like his record in banking and in insurance and uh, publishing type stuff. You know, like his, he would not have a, he can make mistakes in retail that he can't make in insurance. He went in, in banks as well. Yeah. Other than. I think when he invested in Irish banks, but other than that, I mean, he's, he just, he'll never lose money in banks. Yeah. And that, I don't know those records that good in retail. Um, so outside he, of Nebraska furniture mart. Yeah. Yeah. Nebraska furniture mart's definitely success. Um, but so, like, yeah, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So I think learning about the particular industries that are helpful that way. Mm-hmm. So there's some industries that I, learn about and try to figure out from studying some companies in it. The most useful way to learn about it is studying in depth some company in it. So I know that's a problem because people are like, oh, I want to learn more about banking. What should I do? And my advice is like, well, study six different regional banks as if you want to decide if you're going to buy them. Study banks that have different business models and like what works and what doesn't Mm -hmm. and all those sorts of things. And then you only randomly occasionally get uh, opportunities. Like I'm very interested in insurance. I don't know if I can, like, I don't know if I feel that I can put to use what I learn about insurance more than once every five years or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so I don't know that, I, but the banking's the same way. I mean, sometimes like I, people know now that I like banks right now uh, in terms of their prices versus mm-hmm. different things, but that's not always the case. Um, it's just, they have been down a lot in price this last year or so versus market being up a lot, you know, on a relative basis. And then the way that interest rates change for them and whatever. But it means that for a lot of banks, um, I would say the like, uh, attractiveness of their stock versus the attractiveness of other ideas I have has gone up a huge amount, mm-hmm. but there are years where it's useless information. Like to me, it's just not helpful. Yeah. Um, you can imagine studying home builders and there's like years and years where it doesn't you know, pay off because they're in favor. Studying banks was just, I don't know why it was a huge stepping stone for me, mm-hmm. but it really was a huge stepping stone in learning like how the capital structure and like okay. return equity and like all that stuff works within other companies that's outside of banking. 
Yeah, I see what you mean. The the thing is, I guess with banks, I don't know. Now we like all- I would tell someone like you want to learn, just go study a bank, how it actually works, how they think about you know their return on equity, keeping it higher, paying special dividends, keeping like their return on assets at a certain point, all that. Like I think that was just that would be a huge learning point for a lot of people. Yeah, I feel like. For most banks and insurers, if you talk to them and stuff, there's a certain element of like, um, they kind of have to talk to you. Like, the things that you care about for a stock are kind of the things they have to talk to you about. They can't really hide it. Mm -hmm. Like, the business is money. So, you know what I mean? Like, what the bank's doing is money. And so, with some companies, you can kind of be like... They manage to kind of present it like, oh no, that's two different things. Like, um, like let's say we're talking about advertising or whatever, right? So the adver- an ad agency or whatever can talk all about the services they need to provide and the creative things they need to do. If they want to write a report that talks almost nothing about financial metrics, like they can convince you, here's the awards we won for our creativity. Here's how we're helping our uh, clients do this and that. Here's the importance of this, whatever. Banks can say like customer service is important and show you pictures yeah. of their branches and whatever. Uh-huh. But they really have to talk about the kinds of things that we're, you know, saying. And I I think that a lot of companies can distract from, like, how the business actually works. I find that the hardest part of, like, identifying an idea and stuff is when you go to learn about the business, there's tons of information about their bottom line financial performance and stuff. But there's not enough information about how the business actually works. And that's very, very important. And that background information about how it works is very helpful when you then go to make the investment. So like you only need to know that it's like a low PE or it's growing fast or whatever. Sure. To buy into it, but you need the background knowledge in the industry to mm-hmm. be like comfortable with it, to be confident in it. And I've talked about that before. Like, um, in a sense, I don't know, like, um, uh, Greg's in the UK was a good example that I looked into and stuff. And it helps you get confidence in some things and not others, like in food things and stuff. So I, I've just said before uh, on another podcast how much how differently I feel about like fast food type concepts and things than about um, full service restaurants. And I uh, that like as a stock idea, it's both screening for the same PE. Mm-hmm. But if I see Starbucks at a certain PE and stuff, I'm interested in that in a way that I'm not if I saw Olive Garden or even something that's more of a um, less value-based yeah. one that's more of like an actual uh, popularity of the uh, fashionability of the food and stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, if you had to, I said, like map out the day mm-hmm. for somebody that is a full-time investor... Right. To sort of, because again, it is a delayed gratification business. It's a very much focused on learning and continuing yeah. to get better. What is something that, like, how would you map that day out for them? Well, I, did, I know we've talked yeah. about before, like, read a 10K a day, but like, yeah. I, let's say a professional investor where this is what they're dedicated to. Ideally, it's a lot of reading. I do have a problem with it that I wish that I had a better way of sorting out the stuff I don't want from the stuff that I would want and stuff. So, like, Buffett reads. A bunch of different newspapers and i've talked about how i don't really like reading newspapers and stuff there is always stuff in the wall street journal the financial times and some other things that i'm very interested in but it's surrounded by 80 percent stuff that's noise that i don't really want to hear and mm-hmm. stuff so that is an issue um i mentioned trade magazines i found them very useful if you have very specific things like that mm-hmm. that was the best reading that you could do and then reading 10ks all over surrounding the same kind of company or something is useful they have to have a connection to them um, not, they don't have to be in the same industry, 
But they, if you think of it like a web of knowledge that you have, it's very helpful to connect always from something that you're doing to something that's related to that. So even if it's something like um, we owned computer services, so that's a core processor, then reading, then reading about a bank mm-hmm. and, and things like that. So they're not, the bank's not really going to talk about core processing and stuff. And the core processor's only going to, it's not going to give you names of specific clients and things, but at least that's something as opposed to reading about uh, a company that's doing fracking and then reading about an ad agency or something. Um, and reading a lot of different ones in the same industry is really useful. Um, and especially with a focus on understanding how the business works. Um, because that's the thing that will last longer. Like Buffett's talked about this, about how knowledge is cumulative and, and all that sort yeah. of stuff. Mm-hmm. But certain kinds of knowledge is very cumulative, very durable, very useful to have. And other ones aren't like human behavior is great to learn about and behavior in an industry and economic behavior of all those kinds, because it it's very tends to be the same. So say it's never going to change. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But then there's other kinds of knowledge that aren't so useful to have because they're kind of things that, um, shift around a lot. So I do sometimes talk about how I would rather some people read um, books than news things about an industry because sometimes it's more helpful to read over a longer period of time how an industry worked and stuff than it is so biographies of people who are in the industry, company histories, whatever. That's like one of my favorite things to do. Yeah. If I'm ever looking at a new company, just try to find a bunch of books written about it. Yeah. So let's say you were trying to learn about retail things and stuff. You could read a lot of newspaper articles that right now are all going to be the death of a mall or something. Sure. Or you could um, read my father's uh, my father's business. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Dollar General. Yeah. A company like that. And then say, okay, what else is similar to that? And learn about that. You'll learn more from retail uh, about retail by reading a bunch of different ones like that. Yeah. You know, like you can learn from that about even things like um, the benefits of scale of buying all that stuff, mm-hmm. the dangers of just buying inventory without being able to move it at times and yeah. things like that. Different things. We talked about tractor supply, different things between rural places and other places like that. The cool part about, I guess, investing is even if you're focused on a micro cap mm-hmm. or a small cap company, if there is a larger cap or sort of like this mega cap that's in the same industry and somebody made a lot of money from that, mm-hmm. I'm sure there chances are there's going to be a book on there. So even if you're in the nano and micro cap, for example, you could find a lot of books, you know, written on the topic and stuff like that. Yeah. Like we talked about the, um, Michael Ovitz book and those sorts of things. Yeah. I always recommend to people, if you like a book like that, there was a book written about, um, Wasserman. It was, uh, it was, um, when Hollywood had a King or something like that. Anyway, it's MCA, it's music corporation of America. It, it and, um, it, uh, it just like the similarities, between different times that's happened in the same industry about um, the agency business and things like that and and all of that um, and packaging and all those sorts of things. But it's just useful to read about in a few different times to get a feel for how that industry, um, like what points are there of um, either advantages in terms of bargaining power, advantages in terms of scale. Um, when I talk about cruise line things, I think it's useful to read things from a long time ago that way. Um, because it helps people understand that. I mean, I've talked to people who, who I've talked to people who honestly don't believe that there are advantages of scale in, in the cruise industry. And I can see what they're saying because 
it's so cyclical and everything that over a fairly long period of time, it may not be that easy to detect in the company's financial results. Mm -hmm. So when you go on a line by line basis or read books about it and stuff, you can figure out that their costs excluding fuel for this and that and stuff are coming down a lot over time. But when you mix in fuel and you mix in interest and you mix in whatever, and they're looking at the bottom line and stuff, it really is very muddy. And so it can be hard to tell, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and you can, I mean, you've read some investor presentations and stuff too. I think if you read, especially if you're going to maybe, I guess most people won't read. I found it impossible to get people to read 10 Ks of companies. They're not willing to buy. Like they have to really think this is serious or they're not going to read the 10 K, but maybe people will be willing to read investor presentations of other companies. Yeah, investor presentations are a good, quick way to do it. Yeah, yeah, because um, like Buffett will read about all the competitors, mm-hmm. and that's something throughout his whole career you can see. That- well, I've, like I said, I've I've always said that read you know four or five public companies, and mm-hmm. you'll pretty quickly be able to see which is the best one and why in yeah. the industry. Yeah, but I feel like people will read the 10Ks and stuff of their one company, but not so much those around it. So it, probably investor presentations would be the easiest way to do it. You can compare what they're all saying and, mm-hmm. and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, okay. So bringing it back to mapping out that day yeah, for that person, how would you do it? If you literally were going to give them a blueprint, um, the full-time investor where they could check the box off every single day and be like, I got better today. Jeff Gannon approves. Uh, I think focusing on what you're trying to learn is a good idea. So I always talk about active reading and stuff. So actively taking notes or whatever on the idea of what you're picking to do next. So if you're doing like some industry or whatever, right? Um, I think it's perfectly fine. I know it doesn't feel like work, but perfectly fine to be reading a book about that industry or whatever, saying how it's connected to what you're doing. See, and that's my point about this whole like delayed gratification thing. Right. If you're reading a book, are you like, should I be doing something else? But it's actually... It applies to whatever it is, you know, that you're studying and stuff like that. Like, do you think that's how Buffett and Munger would have structured their days? Yes. But the thing I worry about is people do a lot of like more general reading stuff. So I do want to discourage people from just reading investment books or just reading books that are like, um, they're going to make you a better investor overall, or they're kind of just about whatever best-selling thing you might want to read, whatever, you know, um, not that it's not helpful, but the latest Michael Lewis book is not the same as if you're studying a movie studio and so you read three or four different ones about different movie studios throughout time. Mm-hmm. So if you connect it to a specific stock, I mean, even when you're doing an industry or something, I, I like it to be connected to a stock that yeah, you think you're studying. Yeah. Um, so if you want to read a book about a mortgage meltdown thing, that's fine, but you probably want to write down a note, I'm reading this because 70% of this bank's portfolio is in residential mortgages. Yeah. And how did this all go wrong or something? Like I um, talked about Farmer Mac, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're studying Farmer Mac, it's perfectly acceptable to read three or four books about um, uh, Fed, uh, Freddie and Fanny, right? Because they're both, uh, they're, because the company you're looking to invest in was created to be fairly similar to those business models. So you're like, why might this fail? How won't it fail? Um, has it changed? Whatever. That's a really good thing to study. Uh, so like tying it into a specific stock and then going out from there, like in a web, like I said, um, you don't want to just like read something because it kind of sounds interesting. 
Like, you know, don't read a book about fracking if you're not looking at fracking type companies or whatever, something like that. Um, because otherwise, it, it, books are meant to appeal to you for reasons that have nothing to do with learning. Yeah, sure. You know, yeah. they're just like, they're from the title to whatever they picked and stuff is to be interesting to you and to take up your time. So it's kind of like wasting time, like um, surfing TV things and stuff, right? Mm. Um, and that's why I worry about the internet, too. The internet's great for finding all sorts of things, but people just click on one thing after another after another and yeah. get further and further away from the topic they're trying to focus on. Yeah. So I think like a 360 learning about a particular company and particular industry is really good. And I would do one company and then repeat it for other companies that are more adjacent to it and in the same industry. But you can also go from that to like learning about the same people. Like sometimes you come across something and you, you learn about um, either an investor in that company or the CEO of that company or whatever who has other interests in other things, then I would learn about them too. I do that all the time. Um, I always read the things that have uh, the proxies and things like that of who's invested in it and who's running and stuff. What's their history? What other companies were they like before? Things like that. So um, I would totally study a bank that someone was at and then left to run another one. Um, I would study that period that that person was at that other bank Mm -hmm. to try to get insights onto what they might be doing here. And that's the kind of thing that is like information that's right out there. And yet maybe no other investors are doing it. It's possible that tons of investors could be looking at it and not check up on the company, the person used to be involved with or something like that. You know, that's the kind of thing that they might overlook. They're not using history to their advantage. Yeah. I would say that's, Definitely true. Like the soft sorts of things like that. That's a thing that a lot of times people will be like, well, what do I think this person's going to do at this company or whatever? And sometimes it can be very um, obvious based on what happened to the last company they were at or even things they said mm-hmm. and stuff that you could find in their history. Um, and yeah, I, I think it generally has to be built around the industry thing, which is a problem, unfortunately, because like, in each case, that's not a huge part of your decision making. I mean, it's most your time, but the problem is like you do all the studying of it. And if the, if you know nothing about fracking and you know everything about entertainment, but entertainment's all at the 25p now and fracking's all at the 5p, the truth is you can't really outperform by picking in the area that you know about. It's also a timing thing, it's just luck. So there'll be moments where the information is kind of useless to you. And then there'll be moments where it's really of great benefit to you and that is annoying but it's very hard to so like that might be a good idea to start like trying to really learn a lot about an industry because it's beaten down that you know nothing about yeah like studying up on it i'm doing this studying on it because it's such a beaten down industry but it's hard to like um overcome that you know that some industries are cheap at sometimes and then other times they're just expensive and even if you know a lot about them it's not worth buying things in them so maybe this is not your situation now because you've been doing this for a long time but let's say you were going to study a new industry right what are some things that you would do so trade magazines a lot of the probably study a lot of the larger company or the big players in the industry the number one thing i would do first is try to find uh books on the industry I try to find any books that don't seem very controversial or sensational or something like that. That can be hard to do because some books that have titles that are like that are actually really um, informative and everything. But you try to read the reviews and things and find something that's more just a lot of basic information on it. Um, Two, I would then try to find books on uh, 
number one, usually best is biographies of people in the industry. Those tend to be a little bit better than the company ones, but then I would try to find company things if there've ever been those. Um, and biographies tend to be better than autobiographies sometimes. Okay, yeah. <laughs> to that's get a more true. of an honest uh, picture of what yeah. happened. And then I would look at companies, right? The two obvious ones would be companies that had a really good performance and really bad. So you could even look at a stock chart, but what are the companies like, say it was home building. If you were just going to pick a random thing to read about, um, I knew not say I knew nothing about home building. What 10 K would I pick up? NVR would make a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Now it might be very, um, different from a normal home builder, but instead of picking one at random, pick them because of the compounding record that they have. Don't pick a random bank, pick a bank that's created a lot of value over time, uh, that same way. And then from that, you can also look at things that had problems and stuff like that too. So let's say I knew nothing about investment banking, right? You could try to find what kind of investment banks had some of the best returns of the last decades, create a lot of wealth and stuff, and let, uh, famous failures and things like that, mm -hmm. you know, because- And learn about what led to that. Yeah, the yeah. combination should give you more information on, um, on like how the industry works and that kind of thing. I find books probably the best because they're the longest sorts of things that have uh, that you can stay focused in on the entire time. Th also, they're not at all concerned, or they're very little have very little concern with being um, timely. And so the problem is like eighty percent of what you read in any given day is there because it's of interest today. Mm -hmm. But in a week or two, it doesn't have any value left anymore. Cause you know, like say people speculate yeah, the next who's going to win the election. Well, in a week or something, someone will have won the election. It won't be relevant information yeah. anymore, but you'd be surprised. That's almost everything that's in a newspaper, mm -hmm. but in a book that doesn't happen. So I found books to be much more useful that way. Um, but I also like, you, you know, highlight and mark down things and write things down all the time about it. Mm -hmm. Um, when I notice things that are familiar from one industry to another, um, and you can learn a lot about a business, especially micro cap and, and small cap land. Um, if you study a private business or you could talk to somebody that owns a private yes. business to learn more yep. about the, you know, the industry, the positioning, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. There's plenty of ones like that. Like, um, I, we've talked about owning virtue motors and stuff. Most, most anything that I know about the car dealers and stuff is not taken from specific information about how their business works. It's guesses which could be wrong about how similar their business is to uh, car dealers generally in the u.s because there's a lot more information um about uh you know independent dealers and stuff at a smaller scale things private things all across the u.s and everything how those businesses work in great detail and you kind of then compare that to the financial statements of these big listed dealers and say well how similar are these and stuff mm -hmm. and you assume that it works pretty similar that way the same you know and you could do that with any anything but like trying to read a 10k about a restaurant company it's going to be pretty hard to figure out but fundamentally does most of the things at the cheesecake factory work like the things that any restaurant um, running person would have to be worried about. You can get incredible detail on what it is like to run a restaurant. And then you just need a little detail on like, okay, so is it, do they put a lot more money into it at first? What's the scale differences? What's, what are they focused on their menus? Like way bigger than other people's. Why is that? Like just the differences that yeah. you don't have to learn like what it is normally to run a restaurant. You just have to focus on why their model's different. And like you said, that's easy. You can find a, a ton of books about that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Yeah about individual people running them. Got it. Cool. Well, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in 
with Jeff and I today on the Focus Compounding Podcast. If you have not downloaded um, the premium app yet, go into your app store, type in Focus Compounding, and you will be able to download that. And you could sign up for it at focuscompounding.com slash app to get access to our backlog. I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in, and we will see you in the next podcast.